welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. Hello, this is Scott Guthrie. I'm the Infant Medical Director for the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care, and we'd like to welcome everybody to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you. You're going to meet Philip and Crystal. Now, they've been married eight years. They have three children. Their son, named Nori, had a NICU journey that Philip and Crystal are going to tell us about today as we get a chance to meet. Guys, you want to tell everybody hello? Hello. Hey, so this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited to be able to sit down and talk to you about your son and about his journey in the neonatal intensive care unit. But one of the things I always like to start with is just to get you talking, get you thinking. If you could have a gigantic billboard somewhere and you could have any type of message on that, anything at all, what would you say? I would say take things five minutes at a time, one minute at a time, 30 seconds. Love it. Philip, what about you? Laugh. Wonderful. Yeah, both of those things, I think those of us who do work in the neonatal intensive care unit and get to talk to families like yourself and we see the things that you have to go through, your experiences. Both of those are significant words of wisdom. Absolutely love it. Well, hey, let's go ahead and uh, talk about your experience. Crystal, tell us about your pregnancy. What was it like with Nori when you got pregnant? What was going on? All right. I want to say I was 34 when I got pregnant with Nori. It's my second pregnancy. And at the time, he was. it was a big surprise, a very big shocker. I just went to the doctor a few months before and... Just telling the doctor, I didn't want any more children, but I didn't want to be on birth control. And he told me either you're going to get pregnant or you'll come back wanting birth control. And, and within four months, and that was August. And in November, I went back to the doctor because I was pregnant. I took blood pressure medicine with my daughter with that pregnancy. And I was about 31 at the time. And when I got pregnant with Nori, the OB just said, you know, your blood pressure has been great. So I did baby aspirin my entire pregnancy. And throughout the pregnancy, it was perfect. My blood pressure was perfect. I didn't have any issues. Had a really smooth pregnancy. I was always measuring correctly. My weight was maintained well. Just had a standard pregnancy. That's great. What about when you got up to 39 weeks? I understand that's about the time you started going into labor. Tell us about the labor and what you experienced then. They were planning to possibly induce me within the next week. So like about 40 and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was just laying in bed and I said, oh, okay, I think, I think it's about that time. And I think that was like Sunday morning at like three o'clock in the morning. So I went to the hospital about 7 a.m. They checked me and I'd only dilated, I think maybe one. They sent me home and came home, went ahead with life as usual, went and got ice cream and just hung out with my daughter. Monday morning, about one o'clock, I started to have more frequent contractions. I called the doctor. My my doctor wasn't available at the time. So I spoke with the covering physician and he said, oh, no, I think you're fine. Don't worry about coming. But my intuition was like, no, you need to go. 
So we went ahead and went. We stay about 45 minutes away from the hospital that I would be delivering at. Finally made it. They checked me. I think I was about seven centimeters and I labored pretty quickly. So that was about three o'clock. And by, I think he was born at 4.53 in the morning. We didn't know what his sex was. We wanted it to be a surprise since the pregnancy was a surprise. He was a perfect baby boy. Wonderful. So went to the newborn nursery and everything, right? Yeah, there were no issues. So is there anything you noticed at all about Nori during your initial hospital stay or while he was in the newborn nursery? Yeah, although I had no intention on breastfeeding, I felt pressured to do so. And so while I would nurse him, I would hear large gulps. And I kind of knew that was normal. But in between, he was breathing really hard and really noisy. So I mentioned it to one of the nurses and she said, okay, well, we'll check him out. She talked to the doctor, the hospitalist, and they were like, oh, no, he's fine. Just let's roll up a towel and put a towel or a blanket and put it under his neck. Let's prop him up and see what happens. And they did and nothing happened. He continued to have the noisy breathing. I mentioned it again. They're like, oh, no, he's fine. So that's when I knew something was going on. Hmm. So what did you do then? First of all, I worried in silence. I didn't really mention it anymore, but we just took him home and the noisy breathing persisted. When he had his first checkup, I mentioned it to the pediatrician and she said, well, I don't, I kind of hear it, but it's not too bad. As long as he's feeding well and having the poop and pee diapers, I'm not concerned. So about a week and a half into it, that's when the trouble really started. I would nurse him and within 10 minutes after nursing, he would vomit. And I mean, projectile Mm -hmm. vomiting, not just your regular baby spit up. He would Mm -hmm. vomit and it would be white and frothy. I took a picture of it and it looked like cream of wheat. It was lumpy. So I took him to the pediatrician and we saw an on-call pediatrician. And I think at that time he had lost maybe a pound. He was born at six pounds, four ounces. Yeah, he had lost about a pound. So it was like, let's try pace feeding him. So they wanted me to pump into the bottle instead of breastfeeding him. Did that. We went back to follow up and I'm like, hey, something's not right. He doesn't even look like the same child. The doctor noticed. He was like, yeah, he looks kind of ashen. Let's see what we need to do. They sent us to radiology. The doctor was concerned that he had pyloric stenosis. Mm -hmm. So went to radiology. He drunk the contrast dye. He spit it up. We were hopeful that he wasn't going to spit it up, that he did. And at that moment, the pediatrician said, he doesn't have pyloric stenosis. I don't know what's going on. You've got to go to the NICU. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, no, no. NICU is for newborn babies. You know, he's two weeks old. Like, whatever it is, we can figure it out. And he said, no, at this point, he's malnourished. So he sent us to the NICU. Tell me about that experience. What took place in the NICU? So we were a direct admit. We didn't have to go through the emergency room, which is what I'm grateful for. And at first, we didn't go to the NICU. We went to a regular peds for. I can't remember exactly what they they checked him for, but we were there, say, 48 hours doing multiple tests. Then at that point in time is when we found out we would be transferred from the initial facility that we went to. No, to the peds from the peds to, to the, the NICU. NICU. Yes. Yeah. Same hospital. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were transferred to the NICU unit, and we stayed there. Two weeks. Yeah, we stayed there about two or three weeks. Two or three weeks. 
That's when they started to put tubes in his nose and feeding him through the tube. We met with GI. GI. And then still couldn't find anything directly causing the issue. I think all those results came back. So this has got to be, this has got to be a pretty scary experience for both of you. I mean, you, you, you're all of a sudden, you've got this newborn, you, you, you're sensing that something just isn't right. And you're admitted to the hospital, and then it seems like shortly thereafter, whisk away to the neonatal intensive care unit, and that can be a very scary place. Tell me what all y'all were thinking, what you were dealing with emotionally during this time. So I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. And I, I was frustrated because I'm like, I can't even heal from having a baby because I'm traveling up and down the road worrying about my baby. The, the, also, the frustrating part was if it just felt like the doctors were talking around in circles to us. I work in healthcare. I'm not a clinician, but I understand a lot of what they were saying, but they were just kind of giving us very generic terms. But I would overhear them talking in their medical terms, and I would say, well, I understand what you're saying. Can you tell it to me? Mm -hmm. So that kind of got to be a little frustrating. Until they understood, like, no, mom wants every detail possible. Mm -hmm. So that was a good feeling. And at that moment, I knew I had to advocate not only for Nori, but for myself and Phila. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second, because we have all types of people that listen to this podcast. We've got other parents like yourself that they're listening to the stories and just hearing about what you've gone through and what you've experienced. But we also have providers nurses, doctors, other types of healthcare providers that are listening to this too. And one of the things I always like to try to address and try to help us realize and do better at is how we communicate with families. Tell me about that experience of being talked around but not to, and what advice would you give doctors and nurses when they're dealing in, with a situation like this, how we can do a better job communicating with families? If it's okay, I also want to share that we started off at one facility and was transferred to another. So we started off at one NICU and transferred to a, a bigger teaching hospital. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got there, they got to business. Like they went straight to business. We got there and they already had a team of all of the specialists that we were going to meet with and a plan. So that was helpful because at the other facility, everybody was just kind of running around trying to figure out who to call and what to do next. I would say that was part of the biggest difference was yeah. the fact that at the second facility, they were more coordinated in their efforts across all service lines, I would say. And then also they were, then the fact I think that they were teaching hospital, it also helped them explain it more to us at multiple levels. Yeah. So you had the more technical aspect of it, uh, medical terms, but then they also broke it down versus the first facility that we were at. I agree. I think they were you know, kind of talked in circles, but I think to your question, what could providers do differently? I think it's just take a step back before you jump into the actual case and find out who your audience is, right? Who the parents are, kind of what their background is. I think that's, you know, sometimes that's the question. But I think that would also help you as a provider, the team of providers understand, okay, we can talk to these individuals at this level. They have an understanding of this X, Y, and Z, or they don't. So we need to break it down like this or simple questions say, Hey, what's the best way that we could 
communicate with you directly so that you comprehend and understand what we're saying to you. I think that simple question goes a long way. Oh yeah, definitely. That's good advice. I like that. So we've got a little bit of the rest of the story. We know you were sent somewhere else for a more detailed evaluation and, and care there. Sort of complete the story out for us. What happened there? What did they uh, figure out was going on with Nori? What did he have to have done? So as soon as we got to the teaching hospital, we met with ENT for what ended up being laryngomalacia, mm. the noisy breathing. They scoped him bedside the same day, told us about that, told us, you know, what we could do. They also let us know what teams were there that we were going to meet with and what they were thinking was going on, what they wanted to rule out. So what we ended up doing was they did a upper GI scope, upper and lower, and they found out that he had a hiatal hernia. His stomach was sliding through his esophagus. The providers rounded every day. Philip and myself were there at the hospital every day. What was difficult was at the new facility, one of us could only go every 24 hours. We wanted to know what the plan was, and they knew that we were going to be FaceTiming each other while they rounded. So that was cool that they knew our schedule and they knew that we would want them to call us or wait for them to do their rounding. So, yeah, just so everybody is clear, this is again during the height of COVID. So there were a lot of restrictions on who could visit the NICU during this time. Yeah. So this was during the height of COVID in 2020. So when Nori had his big procedures, they allowed both of us to come during that time. But they found out that he had a hiatal hernia. And immediately they came up with the plan. The plan was let's do a Nissen, N-I-S-S-E-N. I think what they were doing was tightening his esophagus so his stomach wouldn't go through it, yep. which would prevent him from vomiting. And so as of now, Nori cannot vomit and he cannot burp. So they did that in the same procedure. They did a G-tube. They gave him a G-tube, which is a feeding tube. And while they were doing the surgery, ENT went back in just to see what they were dealing with with the laryngomalacia. And they saw that he had a cyst on the base of his tongue. I kind of like to take a step back, though, because at first we were a little thrown back by the fact that ENT was wanting to come in within the same surgery to, to even look. And we were a little hesitant to move forward with that because we were thinking it was going to be too much for Noya in one surgery. But then we decided just to go ahead. We're like, you know what? Might as well knock it all out while we're in here. Mm-hmm. Even though we didn't really want to, but it worked out to be the best thing for us. And that provider has been one of the best providers that we've worked with since then, even though initially we were hesitant to move forward with it. But he was very professional and very straightforward. And I think at first it kind of took us by surprise. We weren't expecting someone to be as straightforward, but we still go and see him now. And it's just like, you know, he's, He's all about him. You know, how's he doing? He's very caring. And it's been one of those things like, wow, I'm glad we did move forward yeah. with it because if we hadn't, we'd never known that that sis was sitting on the back of his tongue yeah. at that point. Wow. Wow. Talk about mother and father's intuition. You felt something was wrong and you wound up having three different things that were going on that you had to do to, to help get uh, little Nori fixed up. I do want to rewind a little bit. About the G2, that was frightening. End of sentence, that was frightening. But the hospital prepared us so well. They had a whole discharge plan. So Philip and I had to do classes in order to bring Nori home. So Nori, we had to do class on how to 
take care of Nori with the G-tube, how to feed him with the G-tube. Speech therapy came in and showed us how to bottle feed Nori. Occupational therapy came in and showed us how to take care of him. So we really appreciated the fact that that facility had a whole checklist of what we needed to do. With the feeding to the pump and everything, we also had to have a pulse ox. So they had a DME respiratory company come in and showed us how to work the pulse ox and how to take care of that. And so that was very good. As far as bringing him home, that was frightening. That was frightening because we had to, with the formula that they put Nori on, we mixed it with breast milk. I still pumped. So we had to be able to measure exact measurements for the formula. It wasn't like two scoops and that's it. It was very specific on what we needed to do. So we had to learn a lot in less than two weeks. Nori had the surgery. I think the beginning of September and we brought him home like a week and a half later. Yeah. So what's that like on the drive home? The hospital brings him out. Puts him in your car, make sure his car seat's good, and everybody waves at you as you drive off. What are both you and Philip thinking on that drive home? Can somebody come home with? <laughs> are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? Love it. Can we actually do this? Yeah, can we do this? Like, yeah, this is not just this, coming so. home with a truck full of equipment. That yeah, put up. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to, you know, make sure that the feeding bag doesn't run out of milk and yeah, there's no, no air bubble. bubble. In the tube that's going into his belly, you're you're fighting of all of this stuff, and then it beeps and it's loud, and it, there's always this blinking light in your face. These are all the things that you really don't take into consideration as you're going home. It's not until you actually get into it that you realize, oh wow, this is this is so much more. Like when they're in the NICU and you see the nurses who are you know used to those type of atmospheres and, and working with the equipment, they make it look so easy. You get home that first week, you're just, you're really just working on no sleep, but you're just kind of pumped up and you're just like, I hope I don't make a mistake. That's what kept running through my mind. Yeah. Yes. How could we help? And when I say we, I'm just talking about physicians, nurses, what could have been done to help better prepare you for this? Personally, for my, from my perspective, nothing, because I think they did a very, to Chris's point, like the, the sessions that we went through on educating us on what to expect and how to operate the, the machinery was spot on. Like it was everything that we needed to do. It's just like graduating from college or any type of program. Then you actually get into the real world. It's totally mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Because now you're on your own. It's that piece that don't have that nurse with you. You don't have that full support team that's at the NICU or that in your home with you. You don't get the doze off and, you know, kind of forget about it. No, you're the one who has to turn off the blinking light or, or press the button to stop the feeding pump and replace the bag and stuff and then you don't expect for the bag to come disconnected and then you wake up in the middle of the night and, <laughs> and, there's, and there's milk all over the bed and the baby yeah. you're like holy crap why are you uh. wet you know like did my baby starve is he starving you don't think about those things and it's, it's that piece that you really just can't prepare well right so you know one of the things i've learned over the years and have become certainly more in tune to as i as i get a chance to talk to to, to people like you through this podcast is that, and I think I'm hearing you say this now, is there's all these emotions and just feelings that we have when you've got a baby in the NICU that you think there's something wrong with, that people can't figure out what it is, and then finally people figure out what it is. And then with your case, there's some complicated things that have to be done. And you've already 
mention to the fact that we're not taking a, a normal newborn home. We're taking all this, a car full of, of equipment home with us. And the stress of that is, is what you have to go through, the sleep deprivation. And, and we're learning that moms and dads both can experience depression and anxiety and even post-traumatic stress disorder after they've had a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit. I'm just curious, have either of you had some feelings like that, some depression, anxiety? Oh, yeah. I'm putting both of my hands and my feet up. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Say, I think definitely anxiety because we also had another young child at home. So yeah. it was also thought of, I hope she don't think we're neglecting her because we're constantly on the road having to go check on her brother, right? Like that thought always ran through my mind. I think for me, so I went through postpartum depression with my first daughter, my first child, and I already knew what the signs were, especially for me, specifically for me. I also want to say that I think breast pumping, because I couldn't breastfeed it, pumping was a big factor, a, a big contributor for my postpartum depression and anxiety. And I didn't realize that it was that bad until Nori was home. And at the time he was having to go to his pediatrician twice a month, or maybe even weekly for weight checks and things like that, Nori to the doctor. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, excuse me. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, do what? And I said, I don't want to pump. And he just simply said, stop. If you don't want to do it, just stop. He said, because what I'm seeing is a lot of black women feel like they have to be superheroes and you don't have to. Mm. It's causing you so much anxiety. You have a young child at home. You're busy. Just stop. And at that moment, I kid you not, there was a weight lifted off me. Like the elephant had left the room. That's powerful right there. Just sometimes just. The simple words and realizing what's going on with your patient and just giving you permission to do what you knew you needed to do, but yeah, were yeah. afraid to do it. Yeah, yeah, because I felt like, and not to slight either of the NICUs, but I am an overproducer of milk. So mm-hmm. while I was pumping, I was bringing them so much milk and they were applauding. They were so excited and happy to see me walk in. And even on discharge day from both hospitals, they were like, you're going to need to bring something big enough to come get all this milk. So when I felt like I didn't want to do it anymore, when it was too much, I just felt so guilty because I'm like, well, everybody's saying this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm really good at this. I'm really good at giving him milk. But I was struggling. And for the doctor just to flat foot and say, stop, that was big. So how did that begin to change the emotions, the feelings that you were having? I mean, obviously that seems to be a pivotal moment to you. That was pretty big for me because now I didn't feel the pressure. And I don't know if you remember in the beginning, I said that when I went in, after I had Nori, I knew I didn't want to breastfeed, but I felt pressured. So at that moment, the pressure was gone. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could breathe and I could see the sun coming out. <laughs> Good. But Crystal, was there anything else you wanted to share about your depression that you experienced or emotions or anything? Honestly, therapy helps me. Therapy helps me realize that although I'm trying my best, all I have to do is try my best. 
And one thing I always said was five minutes at a time, one minute at a time, and sometimes 10 seconds at a time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think with the great support system, I had a wonderful case manager through my insurance that would call me <laughs> once or twice a week. On oh, Friday. On Friday, she would call me every Friday. Wow. And I remember one time, and I'm not going to cry, but I remember one time she said, well, we, we don't have to keep going. And I just broke down. I was like, no, like, you understand me. And at the time, I didn't even know she didn't have a child, but she was with me in the thick of it. And so having that one case manager that called me every Friday really changed the course of my postpartum depression. And when I told her I was experiencing it and, you know, maybe I need to get on some medication, she was my biggest cheerleader. So having a village and having people around you that will give you the truth and tell you not only what you want to hear, but mostly what you need to hear, that was helpful in my postpartum depression and anxiety. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Philip, tell me a little bit about the anxiety. I've had dads before because, you know, as dads, we get focused on numbers and noises. And I've had dads tell me that, they sometimes will hear a certain noise months or years after their child has left the NICU and, or they've gotten rid of the home equipment and it sort of sets them off. It immediately takes them back to those stressful times of managing those machines and monitors. Have you experienced anything like that? No, honestly, I haven't at this point in time, but shockingly, I could still at this point in time go back put up the equipment, run it, All right, calculate the formula with the added breast milk to a nine and be right back in the thick of things. I don't know if that's just who I am, but it's like that memory of what that time was is still like super fresh to me. Mm -hmm. And every time like Nori wakes up in the middle of the night, I was just kind of laugh because I'm like, there was a time to where you were just laying over there, hooked up to all this equipment and you were nowhere near as active as you are now. Just to kind of see where he is now, all this stuff is like, hey, you don't even look like the same kid. And that's where, you know, I gave the one word that I'd have on the billboard was, was laugh. Because sometimes that's all you can do. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I just look at him like, wow. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what else to do. So I laugh at the fact that like anybody else who's just now meeting Nori would even understand what he's been through or what we've been through as parents give you a short situation that we're put in that maybe other parents were have experienced as well in this, in this case is that we both ended up going back to work. And one of the biggest, I think, stressors that we had was what are we going to do with Nori? Who's going to, what daycare is going to take Nori with this YouTube? And are they going to be able to really take care of him and make sure other students, kids don't bump into him or try to take it out? What if it falls out, you know? If the, the balloon on the inside starts to deflate, are they going to know how to remove it, make sure it goes back in correctly? Like all of these things start to run through our minds. And as we attempted to get them in different daycare, we got turned down. One case was, yeah, we'll take him. We can definitely have a meeting set up to where you can meet with his teachers. We'll have the director of the daycare there. We'll walk through all of this. We'll let you show us the the G2 teaches how to insert if we need to, and we'll come up with a game plan on how to reach this pediatrician if anything was to happen. And we thought we were green lighted and we we're going to have Nori in daycare. And 
the ninth inning, three outs, last batter, last strike. We struck out. They told us no. They changed their mind at the last minute, and that was a big blow to us. And I think it was a huge blow to Chris, mostly. And even for myself, I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do. We have to figure out something, you know, right? And so it's consoling my wife, and then it's also... At the same time, me trying to deal with it, understand like, wow, like we're really in a different situation than what we were with our first child. And we don't even know what this territory really holds for us going forward, right? So I think that's something that parents have to think about because there will be times, unfortunately, that your son or daughter who's in that situation will be rejected from whether it's getting accepted into daycare, that simple, right? Something that you think would be very easy, turns out to be really, really difficult and a hard situation to swallow when you think you've been greenlighted. Yeah. But there was a light to the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. I was just getting my hair done one day and I was crying and telling my hairstylist about what happened with the school. And she said, well, I have a friend that is the director at a daycare. Let me reach out to her. And I said, well, just tell her, the only thing she has to do is just treat him like a normal boy. And all she, like, literally, just treat him like a normal boy. If he falls and hits his head, like mm -hmm. he would do any other parents, call us and tell us that. The only exception is if the G2 comes out, call us. If we can't get to you in 30 minutes, call 911. They know what to do. We'll be on our way. And that's it. And she's like, and that's, the director said, and that's it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. And, she could not wrap her head around why I am stressing, just treat him like a normal boy when all she has to do is treat him like a normal boy. Yeah. And he's been going to that school for a year now and oh, loves wow. it. And they love him. That's great. Well, hey, catch us up to Nori is, wow, he's coming up on three years old now, right? Sometime later. No, he's coming up on two in, in July. Two. Okay. So Nori's coming up on, on two years old now. Yep. Catch us up. How's he doing now? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a normal boy. He's a normal <laughs> That's awesome. Boy. I was hoping you were going to say that. Oh, he's, yeah. He's all boy. He's he's running. He's, he's talking. He's jumping off things, hitting his head, eating food off the floor. And I understand that he no longer has a G-tube, right? Y'all are he past know, that He day. got that thing removed in... February Excellent. of this year. Yeah, but he stopped using it. In July, the day before his first birthday, he stopped using it. Excellent. And the pediatrician finally gave us the green light this winter, and we had it removed, and we haven't looked back. That's awesome. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking time to, to just sit down with me today and just talk about your experience and Nori's experience in the neonatal intensive care unit and what we can learn from journeys like your family has been through. I think it helps providers to sit down and hear these stories so we can figure out how we can be more compassionate and communicate better with our patients to make sure we understand where all you're coming from too. Any final words you want to share with either parents or providers as we close out today's podcast? There's light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how hard the journey. Find the smallest piece of light, hold on to it, make sure that light steadily grows and increases over time. And then two providers, I would say, we understand it's, it's as difficult for you as a provider to have the workload that you have as it is for parents dealing with situations. But at the same time, I think, learn who your audience is, learn the family as best as you possibly can in the short amount of time that you have with them. I think that's what makes that journey a lot more manageable among parents is just understanding that the provider has taken the time to learn who they are. It goes a long way. Love it. 
Well, hey guys, once again, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your story. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you'd like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.